Hi all, this is Katie Yale, the Editor-in-Chief of Interiors and Sources, and thank you for listening today to I Hear Design, an INS podcast. So this one I am so excited about. Um, there have been a couple of episodes where we just kind of jump on in, and so that's what's going to happen with this one. Um, we were able to chat with Carl Magnuson, and... Um, I am always just blown away by our conversations. Um, he always has so much to teach me with every conversation. And I'll, I explained it also in the beginning of the recording, but um, our original chat with him last year, when the list came out uh, for all seating, um, that conversation was so great that we ended up uh, transcribing the entire thing and putting it online. And what I ended up hearing back from designers was this whole 12 pages people were reading through. Um, and it really kind of gave us that idea of we want people to hear the entirety of these conversations that we have. Uh, that being said, I do screw up in the beginning. It happens. Um, but I really want you to hear this conversation with Carl. He has so many amazing ideas. His story is phenomenal. Every time that I go into a university, especially, um, but I speak a lot at uh, junior highs, elementary schools, high schools, um, and uh, colleges. Whenever I have a student who says, "Well, how do I, how do I, how do I make a difference? How do I get that job? How do I do this thing?" Um, my advice is always, "Call them and just do it." And as terrifying as it is. Uh, you know, to just go do it. And that's one of the things that I absolutely love about Carl's story. And you'll hear more about it. But like, I mean, if a a young Carl Magnuson can um, send a letter to Charles and Ray Eames asking for a job, I feel like picking up that phone and, and chatting with anyone is possible. So again, hope you enjoy it. And uh, I look forward to hearing what you all think. Hey, this is Katie L with Interiors and Sources. Hi, Katie. How are you? Good. How are you? Everything is very well, thanks. Good to hear from you. Yeah, good to hear. Um, thank you so much for agreeing to chat with me today. Oh, yeah. Uh, my pleasure. Um, so what we're doing is uh, just chatting about um, your thoughts and experiences in design. Um for our new podcast, which started in August. And, yes. Uh, so one of the, um, actually one of the reasons why we even started the podcast was that when you and I spoke last year, it was such an interesting conversation. And for the article, you only use so you use so little. And um, so I actually transcribed the entire interview, and we started getting responses from designers who said that they absolutely loved. Uh, reading the whole thing, so we thought, why don't we start, you know, a podcast where people can kind of hear our conversations and uh, hear more in depth about the stories that we end up writing. Um, 
Sure. Um, you know, uh, I think acoustically it'll be better this time, too. The last time we talked, which was a lot of fun, I was in a diner close to Grand Central Station. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure it was extreme. <laughs> it was, uh, at least I had access to lots of pastry and coffee. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, so, um, how, how, uh, and I think you were in D.C. Uh, at that time. Um, or, or not. I'm uh, how long is the uh, how long is the podcast, please? Uh, it is about twenty to thirty minutes. Okay, uh, fine. And it'll uh, be uh, produced at uh, for about twenty and thirty minutes. Yeah. Is that what you're saying, or just this interview? Oh, the interview. All right, fine, sure. Great. Um, so, just to start off, um, you have a. Well, what were the changes that were made in the list for um, for all seating? Because I know that there was a, another rendition that was released this year uh, at Neocon. Uh, are you referring to the actual product? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, we introduced Zinc, um, and uh, Zinc is a... Um, uh, is that what you would like to discuss? Uh, the... Um, uh, the uh, introductions uh, that we had at Neocon? Is that what you're... Yeah. Um, was there an upgrade to LIS or was there... Am I thinking of the wrong thing? No, no, LIS was finished. Okay. Uh, no, no, that's right. Uh, LIS, was, LIS, was the, LIS was the first year uh, and the first product. Uh, I uh, was uh, grateful to, uh, to uh, work with all City on. Uh, and that's now go, uh, going into production. Uh, and then at Neocon this year, we introduced Zinc, uh, which is a uh, shell chair system uh, whereby you have one shell uh, that then can be um, uh, uh, specified in, a, in a, uh, probably 12 colors or so. Uh, you could add upholstery to it, etc. And it's all held together by uh, cufflink-like detail uh, that also allows you to add arms or even add arms uh, later. Um, and then, so the, those shells then are matched up with a variety of bases that you can um, employ, which include um, the, the simple four-legged chair, um, uh, the sled base, uh, and uh, the uh, wooden-based one. Uh, and so this uh, allows it to be used in many different uh, applications, uh, of course. Uh, the normal um, four-legged chair is as simple as I could possibly um, uh, refine it uh, to be, and uh, that's one that you would often find um, as a, um, a less costly uh, uh, side chair, uh, or you could uh, also then, of course, take the uh, the sled base, which actually has an interesting detail that you don't notice until it's been pointed out, and that is that it has a built-in ganging device, so that you don't have to specify the ganging device, you don't have to lose it. <laughs> you, it's just always there, but you don't see it. Um, so that works quite nicely. And then 
you have the uh, wooden uh, leg chair which uh, connects to the center of the underneath of the shell uh, that I think very much is in the spirit of what's going on today with a more op uh, open office uh, landscape solutions and then um, for the um, use in uh, let's say auditoriums and such uh, where um, you may want to have arms and it's often the case where uh, if you have uh, let's say 10 rows by 10 rows uh, that people uh, need to have an identifier as to uh, which is what row um, often that solution is taken care of by a numbering system instead um, we've taken care of it by the arm color so that you can simply point out uh, you know if you're looking for your friend uh, uh, the, your friend is in the dark green uh, area. Uh, so it just makes uh, it a little bit quicker to identify and also uh, allows the designer to have a more colorful um, solution uh, with it. And then it's also uh, will be available in the bar stool. Um, and um, it's uh, intended to be a uh, simple um, and uh, hopefully a sophisticated solution to the general question of a um, simple stacking, a simple side chair which can stack. Well, you know, one of the things that I think is so interesting right now, um, we'll get press releases that say, you know, uh, we just, like, this thing is, is being utilized more, research has shown, you know, more natural light, or research has shown all of these things. And what I end up thinking often is that what we're actually looking at is, is this modernist kind of, not only aesthetic, but like that, that simplicity and uh, that need for um, design that can really work anywhere, especially with this open office plan. Um, and I was wondering if you're kind of seeing the same thing or if that, you know, your previous experience had, uh, what kind of influence it had on this collection. Well, um, I think the, um, the market, of course, today has changed and it's very much more uh, the open office. Even though the open office uh, began with um, the quick burner team in 1950 uh, called Bureau Landschaft, uh, it's still going on, uh, the opening up of office spaces. And now uh, that uh, we are totally immersed in uh, a digital uh, world, um, it means that uh, we've been able to disperse with uh, all the various um, formal layouts of, uh, you know, a, a double pedestal desk with a, a chair plus then uh, two uh, side chairs, etc. Uh, we've been able to move uh, on into uh, hybrids of uh, benching, desking, tabling, uh, and such. And uh, this has also created a more informal um, uh, atmosphere where you can uh, choose the pieces of furniture that uh, encourage informal conversation so it's not so uptight. Um, you uh, then find yourself uh, uh, specifying more colorful things, um, uh, perhaps um, uh, chairs that would uh, previously be uh, viewed as um, not serious enough uh, for the very purpose, but Actually, today, uh, people think, oh, you know, this is nice. Uh, this is not um, 
uh, intimidating. I think I'll just sit down and have a conversation, etc. So it's a little bit akin to the parallels of how we dress today. Uh, uh, I would say 10 years ago, uh, if you walked into a meeting and um, a guy is not is is wearing a suit, but he's not wearing a tie, you you wonder. Uh, uh, what happened? Uh, <laughs> did, did he lose the tie on the way uh, on the train or something? Uh, today, uh, <laughs> today it's just uh, uh, simply uh, normal. Uh, this is all, uh, and, and productivity has increased. Uh, so uh, I think that that um, visual um, uh, self-confidence uh, has uh, allowed us to. Um, Use many different products in ways that we didn't um, we didn't allow ourselves to do before. Mm -hmm. And with that, with the increased productivity, do you think it's also helped with creativity? Like, it's so weird to think that like not wearing a tie would increase, you know, that the, this atmosphere would increase productivity and creativity. But what do you think about that? Um, I uh, I think it, it does. Of course, everything has a balance. Um, you know, when when you're in a formal area uh, or you're dressed formally, etc., there's a certain discipline uh, that uh, that is uh, both demanded of you and that you also uh, somehow absorb. Uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, creativity needs to feel like um, uh, it can be. Um, uh, it can be created in, uh, or I should say, generated uh, in uh, informal settings. Better, it allows people to feel like, "Come on, you give us. Uh, let's have your opinion. You may not be a designer, but you surely have opinions about all these things." And out of that uh, comes uh, lots of ideas. Um, I, I think that getting together and talking with people is. Uh, very much part of the creative uh, process that uh, we need today as opposed to um, simply the sort of unilateral approach when you take emails, you send an email. Um, uh, it doesn't, when you send an email and ask a question, it doesn't, or, or make a statement, it doesn't really open up the conversation. It limits it very much. Um, uh, as you know, whereas uh, uh, going on uh, chats or having conversations just like you and I are doing or getting into a room where there are a bunch of other people. The conversations flow all over the place. And that, I believe, is the environment that spurs creativity. And I don't view creativity as something that's the, um, the domain of um, designers, architects, uh, etc. Uh, creativity is something that um, everybody can be uh, uh, encouraged uh, trained to do and and um, feel comfortable uh, in in doing and that's what I think uh, the uh, new environments uh, should do is encourage uh, creative thoughts uh, from everyone mm -hmm. great and so going back to um, kind of when you first became a designer um, and so Will you talk a little bit about how you got into design? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I got into it, um, I think, at the age of 12. And um, uh, the, the, the atmosphere that I was living in uh, 
being a Swedish family, we also only had modern furniture. Uh, that was normal. Uh, and um, uh, all, all the art was modern. Um, so uh, that gave me a pretty good premise uh, for heading into that direction. I began actually just by, uh, at, at that age, like many kids, just drawing automobiles, but learning how to do it uh, in the ink, etc., which of course also brought you to the notion don't screw this one up yeah. or you have to redo everything. Um, <laughs> and of course, I had to redo things many times. But um, uh, that sort of got me going into that direction. And then um, uh, my father being an engineer um, uh, encouraged me to uh, move further into that. I started my studies in engineering, but um, rather quickly uh, discovered that architecture was uh, much more to my liking and uh, transferred over to that. And so and that, so when I finished my studies in, in Sweden at the Scharmers Institute of Technology, um, I wrote a letter to Charles Eames. And um, um, it, about three weeks later, I got a letter back, which actually was fairly, um, fairly uh, short uh, notice, um, uh, con considering the mail, uh, the mail systems. Um, and uh, he uh, he said, "Sure, uh, come on over, uh, and you can uh, start working at six dollars an hour." And I thought to myself, "What am I going to do with the money?" Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, <laughs> so, of course, I bought a new car. Yeah. Uh, I, I had been designing. Um, I literally did. I'd been designing this showroom uh, for the Morgan Lamborghini and Alfa Romeo. Uh, Dealership and uh, bought a I bought a Morgan uh, and uh, had it picked up in New York City and we drove across the states uh, to um, Los Angeles where Venice, where of course where Venice is and started working with him and, and really my my uh, my informal but real education in design began at the Eames office when I discovered how unstructured this, the, the situation is and that you were, uh, you were asked to design everything from uh, aquariums uh, to uh, working on uh, furniture projects uh, to uh, graphics, um, photography, um, uh, cinema, and it was just such a celebration of creativity not that I was that good, but everybody around me was so good. And I think that's how, where you learn is by being around people that are, are just terrific, but also that have a sort of a kind sharing aspect of sort of, here, let me show you how to put film in the camera, uh, et cetera. And, and so you begin realizing that um, it's, there's very much a process in the whole thing, uh, how to do photography, how to draw, um, how to uh, think about uh, uh, problems, how to actually identify what is the problem, because your client may not necessarily know what the problem is. They just know they'd like to have a solution. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, and they would, uh, therefore, uh, you start thinking about, well, maybe we should try to solve a problem that goes beyond what the client thinks the problem is. Um, and of course that then leads you to 
doing much more than you were necessarily expected to. Uh, I believe the Eames office uh, had huge revenues from uh, royalties, but never made a profit, never intended to, because they poured all the money back into do it doing even a better solution uh, than they were expected to. And, and I think the end result uh, is seen in the, in the, uh, uh, the way history has uh, uh, dealt with them very well. So uh, certainly going, uh, uh, certainly the Eames office was uh, the, the uh, great, uh, the great fortuitous education uh, that I got in design, which prepared me uh, for the next steps. I started, I opened my own office in Rudolf Schindler's house um, in West Hollywood and uh, uh, started doing um, slideshows for um, record companies because Quite frankly, uh, it paid well and quickly. Uh, not to be confused with other disciplines in design that are that uh, act uh, in the opposite manner. <laughs> and then, literally, then literally, somebody from New knocked on the door uh, and uh, asked me if I was interested in um, uh, heading up exhibition and, uh, and managing graphics and. Um, and they said, but uh, you'd have to move, they apologetically said, you would have to move from Los Angeles to New York, <laughs> uh, you know, implying that the weather, the weather wasn't going to be good. I said, look, I was brought up near the, near the Arctic Circle in Sweden. <laughs> New York is New York is south. <laughs> that was fine. That was great. So uh, we did, and, and uh, I said, "What's it? Uh, tell me about the exhibit, uh, exhibition work." And they said, "Well, that would be um, um, uh, all the showrooms and uh, any uh, 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 visual uh, exhibits or, or such that we would be involved in." And I said, "Okay, well, tell me about the graphic stuff." And they said, "Well, you would be managing uh, the graphic department." And I said, so who are the designers? And they said, Massimo and Leila Vignelli. And I said, I'm going to be managing them. <laughs> well, it turned out, uh, it, it, was, it was wonderful because uh, as, some, as someone uh, once said, and, and I remind myself quite often, you only learn when you listen. So I thought I would just listen. And of course, I got a magnificent education in graphic design from Massimo and Leila Vignelli. And basically, all I did was try to keep them on schedule. And uh, who knows what happened to the budgets. Uh, and um, that was, I mean, it was, I was so fortunate. Uh, I got along well with them. And um, uh, probably because I didn't uh, interfere much with what we were doing. We had we had a lot of fun doing um, the showrooms. No one really embraced the idea that showrooms must be uh, t uh, terrific and inviting. And uh, so we were able to uh, do that. Um, uh, that was wonderful. And then um, uh, I was asked to uh, head, uh, head over to Europe uh, to head up uh, overall design of uh, uh, the graphics was, uh, the department was slightly different there. Um, it was being run out of Germany and the manufacturing out of, uh, uh, just outside of Paris and outside of Rome. 
so they wanted me to be involved in also all the product design and products appropriate for the European market, um, which uh, doesn't necessarily have um, total crossover. So um, it was actually a rather uh, funny uh, moment because the uh, chairman uh, or the, uh, well, the president of, of, of Noel said, uh, you're European, right? And I thought to myself, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> and he says, I want you over. I, I want you over to Europe. Uh, uh, go over to Europe. Uh, would you like to do that? And he says, we need to be there in about uh, two weeks. I said, let me think about it. Yes. Uh, and um, uh, I was there, and I worked there for um, um, uh, well over a dozen years, uh, living uh, in Paris, where um, I uh, invited Ross Lovegrove to come and uh, design for us, and uh, then on to London, and uh, commissioned uh, a lot of other um, uh, designers plus designed the showroom there on, on uh, Savile Row, which was later on t turned into a great restaurant by Terence Conran. Um, um, and, um, and then on, on to um, working uh, in Milan, uh, where we had acquired several companies uh, and commissioning uh, good designers uh, there. Uh, and um, that's how it went. Uh, and uh, finally, um, uh, all along the road, of course, uh, I was able to uh, learn from all the great designers um, around me. And a lot of it has to do with um, just witnessing best practices. In other words, how does Mario Bellini work? You know, you look around his office, you see the people, the number of people, and then there's other people uh, like uh, Renzo Piano, where uh, there are huge offices uh, that uh, are dealing with large architectural uh, projects and then also some very uh, defined uh, uh, ones. And then, um, for example, uh, great uh, people uh, like Richard Sapper, uh, uh, when I would visit him for the projects, he was alone, just doing little sketches, etc., and um, paper models of lamps. Uh, that's where Tizio came about, uh, and um, noticing uh, how you, if you understand the process as well enough, um, you don't really have to have a lot of infrastructure around. And of course, today it's even better because then today you can work uh, with a small team and then if you need someone who's terrific at engineering, that person could easily be in New Delhi. And um, you uh, send, them the, send them the sketches in the evening and, and uh, you get them back in the morning. So. Uh, how to work has changed uh, beautifully. Uh, anyway, so then uh, um, I was asked, uh, um, the president wanted everybody, um, all the vice presidents to move to New York City. 
Um, so um, I moved. Uh, we moved from Milan uh, to New York. There was no real good reason for it, but other than the fact that somehow he, went, he felt he had more control. I mean, we, we never saw him. Uh, <laughs> we seldom talked. Uh, I could have been. It didn't matter where I was. It didn't matter where I was working. And 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 today, it's even less important um, to do so. You can be very effective, um, and either by communicating, such as you and I are doing, or, or on Skype, or uh, occasionally seeing each other, more for social um, bonding, uh, uh, having a drink, etc. And so uh, then I continued here until uh, I'd been here for uh, with Mo for uh, nearly 30 years. And then I decided maybe I should um, leave and figure out what else I could do. Uh, and uh, the conclusion was uh, not much. Uh, uh, I basically I, I basically continued to do that which I'd learned uh, during the, the, the previous four uh, decades, which is just design. And uh, I uh, I must say I absolutely love it. Um, it's uh, uh, I feel I feel that it's a profession that um, can help society, should help society, and uh, and and in general I. Think that the ethical structure of the design profession is uh, is in a good place. We, as a profession, should be receiving more problems to solve, uh, but uh, sometimes that becomes uh, quite uh, political and uh, can take uh, literally decades to to move from a problem to a solution. Well, I have a question about. Uh, Was that in? Uh, sure. So you, you know, these days you hear so much about like inferiority complex and people who are, who are working with, um, and feeling their own like, oh my God, I'm not as, as great as everyone around me. And that was, it sounds like that was so much of your like career was going, oh, I'm going to work with them now. Okay, great. I'm going to learn from them. Um, did you ever feel like this, like, why am I here? Or, like, how did you get over that kind of, uh, any kind of insecurity that you may have felt? Um, well, um, I was always uh, very uh, optimistic about uh, everything, and I just thought, saw these things as amazing opportunities uh, that uh, I, I knew they, uh, I would be learning from them. Uh, I never felt that I had an inferiority complex, but I think, you know, probably everybody does, including me, but more, uh, I think more to the point, uh, I was just uh, excited uh, to be invited uh, to um, work with people that uh, I had admired. Uh, and so I just went into it and, and learned, and uh, I, I realized, uh, of course, they uh, would uh, look at me as someone uh, who knew uh, less than they did, but um, uh, I have a pretty good work ethic, uh, and so that starts... Um, it, it, it garners a certain amount of respect. Yes. Uh, if you don't know much, at least you're working hard. Uh, and and uh, it was, uh, um, that's how it went. Yeah. Great. Um, and then I loved what you said about the importance of design in solving these problems and that, you know, we should be asked to do some of these bigger problems. Um, has that 
been a belief that you've always held, or is that something that has evolved over time? Well, well, I've always had a sense that uh, uh, we have responsibility to society, whether we're designers or not, to um, make things better for the common good, uh, and uh, and the byproduct will be uh, it will serve you well also, um, and. Uh, I, I think that, uh, but I think it is, it's not as easy as you would think uh, uh, to do. You know, you sort of think like, gee, let's solve this problem. Let's solve, let's solve the New York transportation problem. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, you know, and, and uh, there are lots of great ideas, and, and somehow they get stymied. I, I know, for example, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, I put together this concept of the microambulance um, because um, we're often stuck in front of ambulances that can't get through uh, because uh, they're very wide and there's no place for us as, uh, as drivers to uh, move over, etc. And that's how I came up with this idea. Why, then in that case, why don't we take a look to see what, what how motorcycles, they're always getting through. It has to do with the width of the vehicle. And the vehicle itself can be down to the point it's no um, it's no wider than uh, the standard gurney which uh, plus a couple of walls around the vehicle you end up with something that's even uh, less than uh, it's about three and a half feet or so wide uh, and uh, this you can always move enough cars over uh, to squeeze through with three and a half uh, feet or so and um, it's as, as much as I tried to uh, uh, convince uh, uh, government agencies and departments, etc., that this would save lives from day one, um, uh, especially heart attack, stroke, and uh, trauma victims and accidents and such, uh, because the speed to the hospital is critical to the survival uh, of, uh, of the patient. Inside the hospital, it actually works very quickly now. It's improved enormously, the, the speed from the emergency room to uh, the operating room. But we still have that problem. And so, uh, but I've never been able to convince uh, anybody that they should fund it and move forward with it. Uh, got close, etc. But uh, so it's a more example of if you do have a good idea, and I continue to think it is, but uh, surely a lot of other people didn't, uh, that um, you, it's not easy to get these ideas through uh, to reality. Um, it's, uh, I mean, for example, uh, ten, year, 10 years ago, bicycles in New York City, are you kidding? Um, you, you know, we're, gonna, uh, we're all going to die one way or the other or something like that. And it turned out that um, Mayor Bloomberg said, uh, we've seen it done in other cities, we're going to do it. Uh, and um, we, he uh, really made it happen. Uh, and now other cities are... Uh, uh, are uh, taking care of, the, uh, of their problems in a similar manner. And, and the end result, of course, is not only are people, the mobility is great, uh, people are getting well exercised, uh, and uh, it's very appropriate for um, a city. So that, that's, that is, in, in a sense, a design solution uh, that came about and became a reality. And uh, I think that as designers, we should be asked to volunteer, etc. 
to uh, solve more of these uh, problems because the job of the designer is to have an idea and then figure out how to manifest it into reality. Uh, that's what we're supposed to be good at. Uh, and uh, we, I think it's an untre underutilized uh, profession. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I know that I, I feel frustrated sometimes when it's kind of like, I feel like I have this great idea, but it, people kind of think, well, it's never been done before. You know, like people don't want to take that leap of faith that is required sometimes when it comes to right. design. Um, how do you deal with that kind of, you know... Uh, well, no, go ahead, please, please. Oh, no, but uh, how, how do you deal when you do get those no's? Like, it sounds like you continue to just go, okay, where's the next avenue that I'm going to take? Right. Uh, when someone says it's never done before, then I remind them that's the reason why we're sitting here talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, because because the designers are the ones that are expected to come up with initial ideas. Uh, and, and then also, uh, as a designer, you learn to accept... I don't know another word than rejection. You learn to accept the fact that most of your ideas, they're going to say, someone's going to say no to. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, I, what I have learned is, fine, move on to the next one. And, uh, but don't throw the idea away. And it's sort of like when, when you're writing, and um, especially when you're a kid and you're writing and someone says, well, I don't think you should use that word uh, in the sentence. So that they uh, scribble it out or erase it, etc. Never do that. Just cross it out so you can still uh, see what was that word. And so uh, I think good designers, uh, I, uh, uh, hold on to the sketches, hold on to the ideas, and never th throw them away because they'll come back. It could be 10, 20 years um, because things, you know, so as, as rapidly as we think things are moving, they're also moving at an extraordinarily uh, slow pace. <laughs> so uh, a, good idea, a good idea that you had uh, decades ago uh, might just be the answer uh, to uh, what the needs are today. You know, I've noticed or tomorrow. that... There are some, uh, lately we've seen more of the archives of modernist designers being, you know, revitalized or going, you know, and I thought it was so interesting because uh, I think it was two neocons ago, there were a bunch of designs where the idea originally could not have been done, um, and you needed the technology to have advanced to where it is now, and you know, we saw something similar with, um, uh, I think a steel case came out with a product that they worked on for, you know, 11 years and they just kept on the back burner because they were waiting for technology to, uh, to advance to the point that it could actually be done. And I think that's just so fascinating instead of just, you know, tossing an idea. Well, I think uh, what happens is that one industry has great technology, such as the automobile industry, and uh, the furniture industry um, uh, may not have that technology, and then uh, the trick is to uh, try to move 
the technology from one discipline uh, over to this one so that we can make use uh, of it. Uh, I mean, for example, uh, um, molded carbon fiber, etc., is something that is uh, very much uh, used in um, uh, in uh, uh, lightweight automobiles, uh, such as the uh, i3 for BMW. Uh, and they've been able to industrialize it because they know they have the quantity, um, the volume quantity uh, for it. Um, in the furniture industry, it hasn't been used that much, uh, partly because we don't have to have everything extremely light. Uh, but, uh, but when we do, that's where we need to go uh, to get it. It's, it doesn't, doesn't mean that the furniture manufacturer has to... Um, uh, buy equipment that can do it. You can go out to other industries and have them uh, do it. They're usually happy to uh, make use, uh, full-time use of, of their um, uh, machinery. And I think also 3D printing uh, is uh, moving very quickly. Uh, and we'll, we'll, not only does it affect our time uh, to market, which is very important, but also for individualizing uh, particular pieces of, uh, of design so that um, you can, um, as 3D printing accepts more and more structural materials such as metal, uh, then we're going to be able to have uh, short runs of, uh, of designs uh, which may be very appropriate. Um, uh, particularly as we move uh, forward into new digital problems that we're going to uh, have and, and try to solve. So I, I think that I have a huge faith in uh, the direction that things are going, providing that we sort of cross-pollinate uh, the various um, manufacturing processes uh, that uh, exist in other industries. I mean, the furniture industry is really not terribly advanced. Uh, uh, it's uh, compared, let's say, to the uh, uh, the uh, automobile industry, which is, is probably uh, at the top end uh, of that. Uh, but we can be learning from it and um, uh, working together uh, with them to uh, f find more efficient solutions to the problems. I mean, I think, for example, automobiles are actually a deal um, when it comes to the complexity and the weight of the object. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, furniture itself, actually, is, because it's such a splintered industry, is furniture is very expensive, you know, as a uh, as an object, uh, and it could be brought down. Uh, uh, I think. Uh, Considerably, uh, if there was more of a consolidation of the uh, of the industry. Uh, well, I just have one last question, um, and it's kind of a fun question. I know that you are really into cars. Um, if you could mm -hmm. own any car that has ever existed, what car would you want to own? The one I have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it's. Uh, 
<laughs> it's a uh, I uh, absolutely uh, adore it. It's a '68 um, uh, Porsche 912. Uh, couldn't afford the 911s, but it's just as well. This one's slightly slower and, and probably keeps me uh, out of incarceration for speeding. <laughs> um, uh, they're, 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 uh, Porsches. Uh, are wonderful designs right from the very beginning because they're so fundamental. And I've been asked if you pick the, uh, uh, the if you pick the t ten most beautiful cars that have ever been made, would Porsche be one of them? And I said no, it wouldn't. There's lots of uh, better looking uh, uh, cars, uh, you know, like Ferrari Lusso's by Pininfrini's, um, uh, Maserati's by um, uh, Scaglietti, uh, etc. Porsche doesn't make that cut. It doesn't matter. If you ask yourself the question, which are the top 10 best, ten best cars, then Porsche probably uh, uh, occupies more than one uh, slot in it. And what they've done that is so smart is they had one idea over 70 years ago uh, that most people said this is really uh, this is really a bad idea. And they said, well, maybe it is, but we're going to improve it. And they did. Uh, they constantly developed things further and further to the point where it's the most reliable, uh, as fast as you could possibly uh, need it wins, wins endless races, um, uh, the, uh, the uh, competition versions, uh, beautifully made, not ridiculously priced uh, compared to Bugattis, Paganis, uh, etc. And um, uh, those, they just made the 1 millionth 911. Uh, and so you would think, well, who wants a car that uh, is one of 1 million? I do, yeah. uh, because uh, and apparently, another, apparently another million people yeah. do also. Somebody bought the things, and uh, and and, um, and and it's actually um, a um, inverse of uh, supply and demand. There's tons of them around, and. And the demand is high for the for old ones, uh, new ones doesn't matter because they're so well made, uh, and uh, that I think is really the beauty uh, of design. When people say uh, it's beautiful and it really works, uh, and it's been working, you know, sort of uh, forever. So th that's why uh, my my dream car is literally the uh, uh, the one I have. Of course, I've had to improve it. Um, um, in my own way, by uh, painting it a, um, a non-metallic slate gray um, and removing extraneous uh, uh, hardware uh, on it to simply make it uh, more simple. I'll send you a photograph of it if you want. Yeah, I'd love that. <laughs> well, thank you so okay. much for chatting with me. I always uh, love chatting with you. Hey, you too. It's good fun. Yeah. Uh, and um, I hope I'll are you coming to New York or so? Uh, yeah, I should be pretty. Or will I see you at... Well, okay, great. Yeah. Uh, just give me a call. Usually uh, um, Are you uh, going to Orgitech? Um, I am not, unfortunately. The, 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 the German, sir? 
Oh, okay, fine. All right. Um, uh, but uh, do and uh, also uh, send me an email. So I'll send you an, an image of um, of uh, the car I would most likely most want to have, which I already do. Okay, sounds great. <laughs> I will do that. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Hey, great to talk to you, uh, and uh, hope to see you soon. Okay. Yeah, sounds great. Bye. Thank you all again for listening. Um, I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. I know that whenever I really need to pick me up and I'm kind of like, what am I doing? Um, hoping I'm not the only one who is kind of thinking that or has some sort of inferiority, inferiority complex sometimes. Um, but I always love to go back over some of the notes that I take uh, with Carl because, you know, especially from this one, um, that idea of you can uh, you only learn when you listen. Like I had to write that and put it up on my wall. It's amazing. Um, so I would love to hear back what you all think. Uh, please feel free to uh, rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, and please be sure to share this with somebody that you think would enjoy it.